It's a great song, Leslie. I closed my eyes for a second. I wasn't sure if that was Leslie or if that was Reba McIntyre herself. Um, but we want to welcome you here to East Taylorsville. If you're visiting with us for the first time, when you leave today, you can go out these doors straight out the back. There's a welcome table right across the hallway, and there's a little uh, backpack for you. It's got some information about the church and how we can serve you in ways you can contact our church staff here throughout the week, and we can serve you better uh, that way. So um, I do want to make mention before we get started, we're looking at starting uh, a brand new ministry here at East Taylor's. We'd love to start, uh, or we're considering starting a kindergarten through fifth grade worship service. So uh, during the 1030 hour, uh, we would like to be able to take those students over to uh, the sanctuary, the old sanctuary, um, and then do uh, VBS type music. So it's kind of a VBS feel to it. Uh, do some uh, worship with them, and we want to uh, teach them from the stage and then break them off uh, K2 and 3-5 and then ask some more uh, pointed questions to drive that point home for the Sunday. And uh, we want to uh, do this and we need a big volunteer base to do this. About 20 people a week is what we're looking at needing to do this. And then we also want to take a break about every fifth week so families can come back in to here and worship together as a family and we don't miss communion and we don't miss Mother's Day and those kinds of things. So if you like VBS during the summer and you think I'd like to do that maybe year-round or a little taste of VBS year-round, uh, this may be a good ministry for you. And so next Sunday at 10 o'clock, we're going to meet over in the fellowship hall and just kind of gauge interest and find out who would be interested in volunteering in this new ministry. We just think it would be a good thing for our church to, uh, to disciple our kids. And also, if new families visit, they'll have a place to send their kids and they're going to be able to worship um, on their level and be able to, to learn and, and be discipled uh, during that time as well as the, parent, as the parents are being discipled in here. So uh, if that interests you, uh, meet tomorrow, not tomorrow, but next uh, Sunday morning at 10 o'clock in the fellowship hall, and we'll talk about it a little bit further. But we're excited about it. We're hoping to maybe get this off the ground by late October, maybe November. Uh, and so we've got some time to plan. But just wanted to throw that out there and let you know about it. And if you're looking for a place to serve, this may be a good place to serve, especially if you like VBS. So um, at this time, if you will, go ahead and stand up, turn to your neighbor, tell them hello, and we will continue forward with worship.
morning. Aren't you glad you're a child of God? This morning we have the privilege to go to the Lord in prayer. And as we do, I want us to remember, I want you to remember my son, Graham and Rachel. You know, this week they're going to be having a new child, a little granddaughter. And uh, they're our missionary of the month, by the way. In our bulletin, you can go there each week and see our missionaries and who we sponsor. And we need to be praying for them as they serve the Lord in foreign fields and also in our homeland. And so let's pray for our nation this morning as well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your grace. This morning, we want to thank you that your grace is sufficient for every day, for every moment. And Father, this morning, we want to pray for those who are serving you. Lord, as missionaries, Lord, in America, across the world. Lord, I want to pray you'd bless them, Lord, as they're away from family and friends. Lord, as they, they're paying a sacrifice we know very little about. Father, we want to pray for their encouragement. We want to pray for your divine protection on their lives as they serve you. And Lord, as they travel, as they share the gospel. And Lord, as they go through opposition of those who are against the truth of the gospel. And Father, I want to thank you, Lord, for the gospel that gives us hope, gives us eternal life. And Lord, we have the privilege to worship you, the true and living God, who's here this morning, who is risen indeed, who lives in our hearts. And Father, we want to thank you this morning for who you are in our lives. And Father, we worship you. We adore you. We thank you for saving us and giving us hope. And Father, we love you this morning because you first loved us. And Father, we pray for this morning that you'd bless this time of worship. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated.
Fear. There's so much of it in the world today. Fear of the coronavirus. Fear of not making enough money to provide for your family. Fear of not achieving your dreams. Fear of failure. Fear of war. Fear of disease. Fear of death. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, there's good news. Fear does not have to define you or scare you. The Lord Jesus is always with his followers. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Furthermore, there is life beyond this earth. Our gracious and loving God sent his son to earth to die for our sins. Three days later, he rose claiming victory over death. The answer to fear is faith, faith in God, trusting our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Are you able to say your trust is in Jesus? Put fear behind you. Look to the only one who has conquered death. And our Lord Jesus will take you through any storm. Jesus went before you. He's here with you and he'll never leave you. When you die, you will be forever with our glorious true God. So there's nothing to fear. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm chapter 23. We've been looking at this psalm for about the last four weeks. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 23 and stand with me if you will. And this morning's topic, I told you when we started this uh, series in Psalm 23, is kind of like the cliff notes for the Christian life. So it covers a lot of topics. And the topic this morning is something that's... Uh, something that we all deal with or are going to deal with eventually some, at some point is the valley of the shadow of death. Notice what the Bible says. Let's read verse 1 down through verse 4. The Lord is my shepherd. Now stop right there. I've said this before every sermon out of priest in Psalm 23. Those five words, either the Lord is your shepherd right now or he's not. And if he's not, everything I say today uh, about the good of death does not apply to you, but it can. You can place your faith and trust in Jesus at any time. Uh, as uh, the person on the video said, you place your faith and trust in the resurrected Christ because he conquered death. And David is saying this very plainly to get this out front. The Lord is my shepherd, therefore, and everything follows that, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. We looked at this last week. He restores my soul. And what David is saying here is this, he's brought me back. As a Christian, I think David would have said that he was, he was not living for the Lord, but the Lord restored his soul through, the, through God's will, through God's word, and through God's way. And when he says this, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And the reason David needed to be restored is he didn't always walk down paths of righteousness. He's, he's, he was a human being like we are. Okay? And last week I challenged you, only you know where you are in, in relationship to your shepherd. But the, she, the shepherd will restore your soul. It starts with God's word. And then uh, surrendering to God's will. And then following God in his way. And then David says this. Okay, because he was a man, he was a warrior, right? He was in many battles. He saw a lot of death. You just think about back in David's day, all the death that he saw. Okay? And he says this, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Death is coming to us all. 
Let's pray together. Father, as we come to you in prayer, Lord, in Hebrews, you talk about how Jesus, his death and resurrection helps us to, uh, Lord, get over the fear of death. But Lord, there's always a fear, not much, so much of death, but of dying, the process of dying, I guess. But Lord, even through that, you can help us to have courage and encourage others. Lord, we're the only faith on this planet that has an answer for death, for sin, for lostness. That's why the early church called the gospel the good news, because Jesus had risen from the dead. That's why the early church would sing and dance and praise God at funerals, because their loved one they knew had went from this life into your presence. Lord, death is coming to us all. Lord, we are literally living on the edge of eternity. We don't know how soon that time will be, but Lord, you have called us to be prepared for death. Lord, and that preparedness starts with our relationship with you. And Father, if there's anyone watching online, either today or this week, or maybe they're, they're here today or in the parking lot, and they've never truly placed their faith and trust in you, Lord, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. Paul told the church at Corinth, today is the day of salvation. Don't wait until tomorrow. If the Holy Spirit of God is convicting your heart, then respond by repenting of your sin and placing your faith and trust in the one and only King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, this church has seen a lot of death. I've been pastor here since 2005. And there's rarely been a month in my ministry that I have not preached a funeral. So Father, death's coming. Some of us in this congregation today may not even see Christmas. We don't know that. It's not a scare tactic. It's just the fact of life. But Father, we can be prepared to meet death and face death with confidence. And Father, I pray that's what we'll get out of this lesson today. We want to thank you and praise you for what you alone can do for us, in us, and through us. And then Father, you're the only one who heals the hurt with death as well. So many in this congregation just this year have had people they love dearly die. And Lord, even though we know where they are, it still hurts. So Father, I pray that you would heal the grief that comes uh, with, with death. And Father, we grieve much because we love much. And Father, we just pray that you'd be glorified through all that's said and done today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Eventually, we all go through the valley of the shadow of death. Okay? Think about this. Think about how different cultures and different time periods dealt with death. I mean, you look at the pyramids. You know what those pyramids are? They're just big tombs. Big head, that's a big headstone, isn't it? I mean, you think about a pyramid. What about the Taj Mahal? That's a tomb, believe it or not. The emperor made it for his, his wife in India. Westminster Abbey, I think I've read where there are 30 and 40 kings buried underneath the church. Westminster Abbey, big tomb. St. Peter's Basilica, the Vatican. They say St. Peter's uh, buried there, I'm not sure. At least 100 other people are buried in the church. Okay? Think about the earth. You're walking on a massive tomb. Since Adam and Eve, how many people have been placed in the ground all over the world? Isn't it amazing how people deal with death? This place, this earth that we're on, is basically a big graveyard. That's why John says in Revelation 21, when death is conquered, you'll have a new heaven and a new earth, because you will not be reminded of death, disease, and decay. But when it comes to death, there are three thoughts I want to leave with you this morning very quickly. And the first one is this, and I think it's elementary, but I think we all should be reminded of it is this. You are going to die. You're going to die. We are all going to die. Now, Jesus could come back in the rapture. But more than likely, okay, now he could come back at the moment if he wants to. Nothing has to be fulfilled. You and I, we're going to die. Every one of us in here will probably go by way of the coffin. 
I hope not, but probably. Think about this worldwide. There are approximately 5 million or 56 million, 600,000 deaths each year. That works out to about 4.7 million per month, 155,000 per day, 650,000 or 600, yeah, 6,500 per hour, 107 per minute. And 1.8 per second. So by the time I'm done preaching this sermon, if it is 30 minutes, about 3,000 people will be dead. Hopefully you're not one of them. I hope I'm not either. All right. The familiar words of Ecclesiastes says this, There is a time to be born, and there is a time to die. If you visit any cemetery, unless you read a tombstone that has Bible verses on it, you can't tell who the Christian or the non-Christian is. You can't tell their race. You can't tell their gender. You can't tell if they were a good person or a bad person. Because it all looks the same. You don't know if they're famous or they're not famous, were they a churchgoer? You know what I would pray? Now, I never prayed a prayer, all right, growing up. We just didn't go to church. But I did pray for my food, all right? Give me this, Lord, my daily bread. And I prayed this every night. Now, listen to this. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. That was my prayer. That was my rabbit's foot. God, get me through this night. And if I die, I prayed this prayer, please take me to heaven. That was what I would pray every night. Even when I... Until I, the Lord saved me, and then I actually prayed uh, prayers that weren't nursery rhymes. But think about this. Notice Psalm 89, 48. The psalmist says this. What man can live, or human being, person, can live and not see death? Can he deliver his life from the power of the grave? I share this at almost every funeral I preach, and I say something like this. Hey, I'm trying to be healthy, right? As best I can. Hey, try to eat right most of the time, lift weights every now and then. But you know what? I'm just going to die healthy. You're just going to die. You, are, you, you can be in the best shape of your life. I think when I ran 5Ks, not 5Ks so much, but half marathons and marathons. I never read a marathon, but I read a half marathon. At every one of those, it'd be five to 15,000 people sometimes, depending on where you go. The one we went to was 7,000 people. Somebody always died. I'm not, I'm not lying. There was a heart attack. There was a stroke. There was a something. And you look at some of these people who run like that, and they're in some of the best shape of their life, and they die. What man can live and not see death? Everybody thinks death is going to bypass them, but it's not. We're all going to die. We're either going to die healthy, unhealthy. Some of us are going to have long, prolonged illnesses that we can't do anything about. We just can't help it. It's how God made our body. Some of us are going to die quickly like that. It's going to be like that. It's going to be a shock. You know how many times I've got a call at night, especially from a member of this church, and say my loved one passed? Unexpectedly. You know, that's so tragic. I just can't believe it. You know what we would say at the funeral? can't believe this happened but I always say this at a funeral let their death remind you that your day's coming and be prepared because we should because our faith is victory over death is that not a blessing the only faith on the planet God gives tells us we have victory over death notice what Paul told the church at Rome he said this the wages of sin because we sin and we all do is death that's the payment for it but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Eternal life starts the moment you're born again. And we're going to talk about that here in just a moment. But we need to understand the word death. Now think about the term death in the Greek, all right? It seems like it means the end. The Bible uses the word death somewhat different than we do. We must understand how the Bible uses the term death in the New Testament. The word in the Greek does not mean annihilation. It does not mean end of existence. Like sometimes people would say when John died, he ceased to exist. Well, that's wrong. You, we're all going to live somewhere forever. Very few times in the New Testament does the word death ever mean an end of anything. The Greek word is thanatos, and in the death, that Greek word means separation. 
When you die, your body and your soul separate. That's basically what it means. Paul understood this. He said, for me to live physically is Christ. To die physically is gain. But if I am to live physically on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose. You know why? Because he understood death is just a separation of your body and your soul. It's just a separation. That should radically change about how we think about death. You are separate from you, your body. It's kind of like a doorway. I don't, you know, I, when people come and visit this, especially this, we call it the new park. We still call 649 New Road, don't we? But we call this the new part of the church. I've never had somebody look at that doorway and go, man, that's an awesome doorway. Let's just stay in the doorway. This doorway is so pretty. They'll talk about the steps, the foyer, uh, you know, this area, the whatever, the classrooms, the office, never the doorway. And see, death is just this. It's a doorway. Nobody lives in a doorway. Now, what, what it is is death is one change from one place to the other. From one existence to the other. That's what death means in the Bible every time you read it in the New Testament. That's why when, when the pastor shared John eleven twenty five, he talked about Jesus saying, if you believe and you die physically separated, but if you believe in me, you'll never die. You'll never be separated from me. That's what that means. Because you're just going to go from this life to the life with me, which you'll never die. And that's the blessing about death. The early saints understood this, and I shared this in my prayer. That's why they rejoiced at funerals. Read some of the old saints at funerals. It was almost like a party. Nobody lives in a doorway. That's why Psalm 116.15 says this, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Now think about this when, if you're younger, okay, and even my age, we can do this too, we live so much in the present. It affects us spiritually with our money, with our spiritual gifts, with our perception of death, because we get so mad at God when, when sometimes a younger person dies. But death is normal to this world. It wasn't supposed to be, but it is. And we all should be prepared for the fact that we're going to die one day. I, I, I take a lot of, even Christians, uh, but a lot of people in Alexander County are like my kids when I go to the beach. Do you know how much they prepared for to go to the beach? Nothing. I would tell them, pack your clothes. They'd pack their clothes. If we was leaving on Saturday, Friday night at 11.30 at night. Not prepared. Did they know the way? No. Did they take money? No. They didn't take money. They're just enjoying the ride. They didn't even know how to get there. They, they didn't know how to get to the mall the first three years they had their license. Okay? Could they get to the beach? Absolutely not. They're just along for the ride. A lot of adults, look at me adults. That's the way you are with life. Just living for today. You're going to live eternity somewhere. You are going to die. And for the non-Christian, we'll talk about this in just a moment. You're going to stand before the judge. And for the Christian, we're going to stand before the Lord too at the Bema. Are you prepared to meet your maker? Death should help us all get our, get our homes in order. Get our houses in order. Okay, Because we are going to die. And, and death is no respecter of person. Not only are you going to die, but you're going to live forever. Saved or lost, you're going to live forever. For the Christian, we'll look at that first. Notice what 2 Corinthians 5.1 says. I love this verse. I love this whole, if you take chapter 4 and go through chapter 5, it'll talk about death. And Paul talked about this. He basically would say this, and I'm going to paraphrase, I face death daily. And he almost, liked, he almost made fun of it. And then he'd list all his struggles. You know, he did that in like three different chapters in 2 Corinthians. All the things that he went through, the beatings, the robberies, and all that. And he says, but you know what? He said, I consider that a really light momentary affliction compared to the eternal weight of glory. 
Paul suffered like Job, I guess you could say, for the most part. And he says, it's really just like a feather compared to eternity. If we understand eternity, that's why he almost made fun. He'd say, oh, death, where is your victory in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15? Oh, death, where is your sting? It's almost like he's taunting death. It's because he understood this. He said, look, now we know. See, Christianity is a learning religion, right? It's based on fact. You have faith, but you have faith in facts, right? It's not a blind faith. It's not a fake faith. It's a real faith. Paul says, now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Now listen to what John Piper says about this verse. He says that surely the most important part of this verse comes in the first three words, now we know. Death itself confronts us with many mysteries. No one who reads these words can say with certainty how much longer they will live. Every single breath we take is a gift from God, and you, hopefully you understand that. Every single breath you take is a gift from God. He, goes, he, he says this, and this has been a while back because he's older than us now. He says, I've been breathing more or less continually for 58 years, not thinking much about it, but it's true. Every single breath is a gift from the Almighty. I'm not guaranteed another day, much less another year. As to what happens after we die, science has nothing useful to tell us. They don't know. Your science books can't answer that question for you. No scientist on earth can. The great researchers have no certain knowledge about what happens a minute after we die. We will not get the answer from philosophy or from history. If you visit a vast cemetery, all you know for certain is full of dead people who once were alive. Try as you might, you cannot know from studying the dead what happens when we die. But notice what he says. Paul says in verse 1, Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, he compares our bodies at the present moment to a tent. And I shared this uh, at the funeral of my good friend and neighbor yesterday. I, I made this comment because he had a lot of health issues. I said, I hate tents. I hate them. Don't ask me to go camping. I'm not going. I'm not going. Give me a house at the beach. Amen. Give me a four-star hotel. Give me a condo. Give me a, a hotel in any city. Give me a cabin in the mountains. I'm not going in an RV. I'm not going in those small things you pull, and I'm not putting a tent up and sleeping in it. I'm not doing it. I don't like snakes, insects. I used to. I don't like them anymore. I'm not going. God says your body's like a tent. It's just like a tent. Piper goes on to say this. Our bodies are like tents. They wear out. They sag. They expand. They wrinkle. The joints get creaky. The arteries harden. Gravity pulls everything downward. The heart slows down. The eyes grow dim. The teeth fall out. The back is stooped. And the arms grow weary. Our bones break, our muscles weaken, the body bulges in the wrong places. We brag about our strength, but a tiny microbe can kill us. Think about that. A tiny germ can kill you. Sooner or later, we grow old and our bodies begin to break down. Eventually, they stop working altogether, and no amount of vitamin C or ginseng can change that fact. At best, we can only slow down the aging process. We cannot delay it forever. And then he goes on to say this. You can eat all the low-carb ice cream you want. Your body will still fall apart in the end. And then he makes this scientific claim. He says, you know that your body disintegrates all the time. The cells of your body are actually programmed to die. The scientific term for this is apostis, I think. And each day, the average adult loses 50 to 70 billion cells. I don't know how they count that, but they, somebody did. That's not a misprint. Before the sun goes down today, between 50 and 70 billion of your cells will die. That's 350 billion cells a week. No wonder you need to lie down and take a nap. You're falling apart. So take that nap today, man. Sleep is actually good for you, by the way. So the more you sleep, the better off you will be. But notice what Paul's saying. 
we will one day trade in our tent for a what? A building. A building from God. An eternal house. That's why he's talking about your body, right? Is, is you're living in a tent now that decays and it sags and it's got all these problems. We all do. We all have issues with our body, okay? But he says we are going to have when we die a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. And what Paul is saying is, why would I fear that? That's, that was his mindset because he was a mature Christian. He says, why would I fear death? That's why he had confidence and boldness every day. MacArthur puts this, put it this way. Think about the difference between a tent and a building. Tents are temporary and flimsy, easily torn and meant to be replaced. A building is strong, built on a foundation and not meant to be moved. Someday we will give up our tent and replace it with a building made by God himself. That one fact tells us something important about death, and he lists these facts. Death is not the end. Death is not reincarnation. Death is not evaporation. Death is not a annihilation. Death is a trade-in. We'll trade in our broken-down bodies for a new body. And Paul says this about the new body, and you can, these five points, or four points, it's from God. It's not made with human hands. It's eternal, and it's heavenly, not earthly. You're not, somebody doesn't give birth to you in heaven. God makes it for you, right? Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 15 about our new bodies. He said, it's the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they'll be raised to live forever, our new bodies. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they'll be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they'll be raised in strength. They are buried as, a natural, as natural human bodies, but they'll be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. He says, what I'm saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever, but your new body will last forever. Think about this. When you die, God will fashion for you in his time a body that will have never have pain again. I think I take ibuprofen every day. I don't know if that's a good thing, Matt, but I do. Right? Every day, because I get up and I'm hurting. I don't know what happened in the middle of the night. But I just, I hurt all over. Now, think about no more pain physically, but think about this, no more pain emotionally. Some people deal with emotional illness their whole life, and there's nothing that anybody really can do for them. As, as best, you medicate it, and you should, right? But think about living in eternity with the Lord, and you feel good every day. You feel the best you ever could feel in your life every day. You never get tired. You never get sick. There's no depression, no discouragement. It's all joy and happiness, and you feel great. How many times, don't, don't answer, this year so far, have you just felt great? You got up and you said, I feel great. I feel like a million dollars. Most of us were like, I feel like somebody on sale at Dollar General, right? I don't feel great, do you? But one day when you die, God is going to give you a physical body. And then Paul says in verse 5 of that same chapter, if you notice, now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. And what he's basically saying is this, we've been made for something better than this. We are saved by an eternal love that will not let us go for eternity. Not even death can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, Paul says. Now listen to what one scholar says. He said, I say that not to alarm you, but to anyone, alarm anyone, but to state the simple facts, we're all going to do the same time in, in the box, he calls it. He said, the man who wrote this wonderful passage in 2 Corinthians 5 returned to the dust of the earth a few years later. So every Christian who has ever lived has died eventually. So far, that's a report from the cemetery. 
But death will not have the last word, for Jesus has conquered the grave because he rose, we too shall rise. In that faith, we take courage to live for Christ with reckless abandon because death is not the end of our story. Think about this for a moment. Paul faced death daily, and he did not care. Because he said, if I die, what does that matter? What, do, what does that even matter, that I, that I go to live forever in God's presence with a new glorified body? But think about this. If you're lost, you live, you're living on the edge of eternity as well. Notice what Hebrews 9, 27 says. It says, and it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. And I've shared this with you before, but if you're here today lost, this is really a verse for a lost person, that there's an appointed day for you to die that you can't change and I can't change either. That word appointed means it's laid up, it's stored away, it's placed in, in, in a place of safety, which means your date is set. Your death is appointed. It's laid up, it's set away. We cancel appointments all the time, but we can't cancel this one. God has an appointed day for us. It's a destiny that nobody but God can change or cancel. Death is not an accident, it is an appointment. Now think about this thought. No one lives a day or less or a day longer, a day less or a day longer than God ordains. That should give us great comfort when we lose a loved one. Notice though, it's appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. Every term that God uses about salvation, justification, all these great terms are legal terms. They're courtroom terms, right? So when I was declared justified, that was in the halls of heaven. It wasn't just because some preacher told me, right? God writes your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's a legal document. It's, it's a legal term. You have a date with the judge if you're lost. And you don't want to meet him. You don't want to stand before Christ in your own righteousness because you'll be found guilty. And, and, and what Paul told the church at Rome and even, even told the religious Jews, he said this, look, all mouths on the judgment day is going to be shut. You're not going to plead your case. You're going to stand before a holy God and you're going to say, I am guilty. I deserve whatever you give me. There's not going to be any type, but after you die, you cannot talk your way into heaven. I used to think that as a teenager, I can talk my way into anything. Talk my way out of ISS, talk my way into free lunches all the time. But when you die, you don't talk God out of anything because it's a legal term. If you've ever stood before a judge, you understand your words matter very little. What you've been charged with is what matters. And the state looks at it that way. So when you get saved, it's a legal transaction that takes place. That's why you can't fake salvation. It's not osmosis. You wasn't born a Christian. No one is. God legally declares you justified, just as if you never sinned. All charges against you are dropped for eternity. And if God does not declare you justified, you're not. You're lost. You're not. Your good works are not good enough because you're guilty. If you break one part of the law, you've broken it all. Okay, if I drive to Charlotte today after church, which I'm not going to, and I drive the speed limit for, let's say I go 80 miles, but on that 81st mile, I, I drive 15 miles over speed limit, I'm going to get a ticket, justly so. Even though for 80 miles, I was a good guy, right? See, your life, you're, God's holiness, God is holy and God is just, and His judgments are the same. He's not going to give you a break or a pass because you're a nice person. I tell this, these people this all the time. You know, in America today, especially in Alexander County, We'll say people are going to heaven because of how they die. Guy fought on the front lines of the war, died. That don't change his legal status. Should we look at him as a hero? Yes, we should. Does that mean he's going to heaven? Absolutely not. That's nowhere in the Bible. I remember when uh, uh, those astronauts died. I heard everybody saying they were all going to heaven. I said, are they? I hope they do. I hope they know the Lord. But you don't go to heaven because you die in a rocket ship. 
That's nowhere in the Bible either. Because it's a legal transaction that takes place. So have you been legally declared justified in God's sight? Because God is a righteous and a just judge. It's appointed unto men once to die. See, death typically is unannounced. We announce births. Sometimes we'll set a date and a time, but not death. Death is typically unexpected as well. Look at a man that Jesus shared this parable who was living life and was living good. He, he basically said, I'm going to build bigger barns. He had all these barns and all this money, and he said, you know what? I'm going to build bigger barns. And tonight I'm going to take my, eat, take my time. I'm going to eat and drink and live at ease. These were Jesus' words. And then Jesus said this. Look, but God said to him, you fool. This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose, whose will they be? God says, you're not going to live another second because this appointed for you to die tonight. And then God calls him a fool. That means empty-headed, arrogantly minded, lost. This night your soul is, look at the word required. In the Greek it means this, this night they demand your soul. And Jesus told us this in Matthew chapter 10 to his disciples that were going out. You'll notice this verse. He made this statement talking about living forever. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, feel him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So you're living on the edge of eternity right now. The Lord is your shepherd or he's not. You'll stand before God in the righteousness of Christ or you'll stand before a righteous judge in your own righteousness. And that's not going to be good for you. I don't care who you are. I don't care how good a person you are. You're not good enough. And the final thing is this, thankfully. Jesus has conquered death. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 8 real quickly. And notice what Jesus says. He's here in this conversation with the Pharisees. Now notice what he says here. He's in this conversation. They've been arguing all through John chapter 8. The Pharisees were, were basically disclaiming everything Jesus said about himself. And Jesus was, even tells them this. And I'm going to read the other verses to you here in just a moment. Notice what he says. He said, most assuredly, which means this is going to happen. I promise you on my name and on my Father's name, this is going to happen. I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. And what Jesus is saying is this. Even now... And your disobedience and your rejection, I'm giving you an opportunity to be saved. And listen to what, what happens here. I'm going to read it to you real quickly. John 8, verse 48. Then the Jews answered him and said unto him, Did we not right, say rightly that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? That's a racial slur. And then they said, Jesus, you're crazy. And they looked at him as he was crazy. Because Jesus was telling them, speaking the truth, and they said, You're crazy. You're, you're a, the word Samaritan meant a half, you're a half-breed who doesn't even believe in God. Is what they called Jesus. Now, this is Jesus' own family. The Jews were his people. He went to the Jews first, right? And they said, you're crazy. What you're saying is crazy. And then Jesus said this, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father. And you dishonor me. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. You know what Jesus is saying? You, you dishonor me, and you're going to stand before the judge one day. And John MacArthur put, said this. It's like Jesus is saying this. Don't do that. You don't want to have God as your judge. You don't. He's God. You're not. You don't ever want to meet him as your judge. Therefore, get in line with what he's doing. Namely, he's glorifying me, not dishonoring me like you are. So are we all God's children? Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. These are good religious Jews. And Jesus says, God's not your father. Jesus goes on to say this. Then Jesus said to him, or they, the Jews said to Jesus, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead and the prophets. And you say, If anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. And then they asked Jesus, Are you greater than your father Abraham who is dead? And the prophets who are dead? 
Who do you make yourself out to be? And this is what Jesus says. If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, of whom you say he, that he is your God, of whom you say, and Jesus is basically saying he's not, yet you have not known him. He's basically telling them, you're lost. You're not going to heaven. As of right now, you're not going to heaven. You'll be judged justly one day, even though you're a good Torah-keeping Jew. You try to keep the Ten Commandments. You tithe of your garden. You tithe of every, your money. You tithe of everything. You go to the synagogue often. You read the Bible every day. You won't even say, you won't even write God's name down without, you won't even write his whole name down because you're so reverent. But you're lost. You don't know him. Then he says, but I know him. And if I say, and if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. <laughs> but I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and he was glad. Then the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. And have you, you say you've seen Abraham? And Jesus said this, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. You just didn't say before Abraham was, I was. That's what the Jehovah's Witnesses say. That's what the Mormons say. And Jesus says, no, before Abraham was, I am. And listen, Jesus was saying this, I am God. I was before Abraham. He uses the same term that God tells Moses whenever Moses says, Who shall I say sent me? And God says, You tell him I am that I am. Jesus uses that term. And th this is how we know. Then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. So when cults come to your door and say, Jesus never said he was God, so well, he said he was, so much so that the Jews tried to kill him with stones. But Jesus made this statement, Most assuredly, I said, if anyone keeps my word, and what he means by this is this. Jesus says, if you believe about me what God believes about me and what I believe about me and what God's word says about me, then you'll never see death even though you die. So you can't place your faith in Mormon Jesus, Muslim Jesus, Jehovah's Witness Jesus, liberal Jesus, right-wing Jesus, American Jesus. You place your faith in this Jesus or you're lost. The resurrected Christ. Have you ever placed your faith and trust in God in flesh who died on the cross for your sins and who rose from the dead the third day? That's the only Jesus that saves. All these other made-up Jesus, fabricated Jesuses, don't. This Americanized Jesus doesn't save. This we coexist Jesus doesn't save. Only Jesus saves. To place your faith and trust in Him. And I'm going to ask our musicians to come. If you'll just bow your heads for just a moment. Beverly, if you just play something real softly. I'd ask you this question. Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus? Have you placed your faith and trust in Christ? Have you placed your trust in the resurrected Jesus? If not, I would encourage you to ask the Lord to save you today. You don't need a preacher's help. There's no special prayer to pray. God knows your heart. If the Holy Spirit is dealing with you, I would encourage you to place your faith and trust in Him. And then if you're here today and you're born again, are you ready to face the Lord one day? Are you prepared to die? David says we don't have to fear death. Paul says we don't have to fear death. It's easy to preach. It's easy to teach. So much harder to live. Are you here and you have you lost a loved one recently? The truths of the Bible will be a great comfort to you knowing that your loved one is in his presence. And 
worshiping the Lord with all the angels. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we want to thank you, Lord, for your word. We want to thank you for grace, Lord, that you showed to us. Lord, if we're all here saved, we're saved by grace through faith. And Father, if there's anyone here that's never placed their faith and trust in you, I pray that you would save them, Lord, in your time. I pray that they'd say yes to you. And Father, help us to be ready to prepare for this, this destination that we have. Lord, we have a good future ahead of us. Lord, we have not seen the best at all of you, even of you. Lord, we've just seen parts and bits and pieces and understand a, a small fragment of who you are. And Lord, even that excites our souls. Well, Lord, we look forward to being in your presence and our, when our faith becomes sight. And we thank you for the hope that we have. And Lord, we have the best news of any people on this planet. And I pray that we would share it with the lost and dying world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand with us and we're going to close the service. Sharon's going to lead us in a verse of a, of a song. Thank you. Thank you and see you next week. We want to thank you for taking time to join us online today. Our hope and prayer is that Jesus is glorified and that you are challenged and encouraged through worship and God's Word. Today, if you made a decision to place your faith and trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior, or maybe you still want to know more about what it really means to follow Jesus, please feel free to contact us through the week. We would love to be able to share with you more about the hope that is only found in Christ. If you're not already a regular part of another church family, we invite you to join us here on campus each week for Sunday school and worship on Sunday morning. Finally, if you would like more information about our church, or maybe you feel led to support the